Welcome to recordings from the 2017 Festival of Faith and Music. The biennial festival brings together musicians, critics, journalists, artists, and listeners for three days of concerts, lectures, and conversations that explore the intersection of music and spirituality. What follows is a panel on the role of artists in politically fraught times. Participants include Dr. Daniel White Hodge, director of the Center for Youth Ministry Studies at North Park University in Chicago. David Bazan, a musician from Seattle, perhaps best known as the chief creative force behind the band Pedro the Lion. Billy Mark, a poet, musician, and performance artist living in Detroit. He was a 2015 Kresge Fellow for Experimental Poetry. Kirsten Vandergeesen Reitzma, editor-in-chief of Topology Magazine, moderates the conversation, recorded on the campus of Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, on April 1st, 2017. A note to our listeners. Some language and content might not be appropriate for younger audiences. Also, to help you identify each panelist's voice, you'll hear each person's name the first time they speak. The first voice you'll hear is Kirsten Vandergeesen Reitzma. Thank you all for being here this morning um, and uh, being witness to a conversation that I think is going to be an echo of conversations that many of us have been having over the past few months. Um, And I've asked our panelists to uh, give some thought to a question um, by way of kind of beginning to introduce their thoughts on this subject. Uh, And I like to hear from everybody to start off. So uh, the question is, um, talk specifically about a piece of art. Uh, It could be something that that was made since the election. Uh, It could be something from well before the election, but something that has been recontextualized for you or that has been an interesting response to the things that have been happening over the past few months. And, and just for context, uh, it's been almost five months since the election. Um, it's been, uh, what, just over two months since the inauguration. So, um, and, and maybe we'll get into uh, what has changed and what hasn't changed in that period of time. Um, but to start off with, uh, I'd like to hear about these, these pieces of art that come to mind for you guys. David Bazan. Okay. Um, I um, I was looking for something less um, dramatic, I suppose, but I watched um, Children of Men pretty quickly after uh, the election, and um, it just, you know, I guess the thing that you're reminded of watching a film like that or any sort of um, dystopian kind of deal is that um, just how quickly it it gets there and the the mechanisms by which a a nation can arrive there seemingly kind of (laughs) quickly. Of course, we'll probably talk about how that it hasn't been a quick descent at all and that's part of the role of artists is to sort of highlight that along the way, but with an extreme example like Children of Men, it's difficult to see that at the time in the theater, you know, as um, as prophetic. Um, I mean, it is prophetic uh, as, as future telling, I guess that would be a better way to, that prophecy ain't that, I suppose, but um, it, it is prophetic because it describes what's possible, but I guess, yeah, just watching it again, 
you know, you just, you just feel the grief of it all. But the great thing about that movie is you see, um, you see the, the, the little bit of fragile life that is the thing that renews, you know, mm-hmm. and that it's in the face of all of this, um, you know, these shows of displays of force, um, of grotesque force that something like the the idea of vulnerability can can turn it you know and that if anything can that's what it that's what will um and so yeah i guess it wasn't such a bad thing to think of because there's a lot of hope i think in that in that movie um and there's a reference to one of my favorite strains of um, medicine, to strawberry cough. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch that the first time I saw the movie. Daniel White Hodge. Oh, I'm glad you gave me a heads up of the question, because you know, there's a couple of <laughs> uh, streamlines of thought that comes to mind when I think about art. I mean, the first one, I mean, I typically always turn to either music or film, but the first thing that stood out just vibrantly was um, what I consider Spike Lee's capstone and and Do the Right Thing. Um, And so for me, that film, I mean, I used to teach on it, I've written on it, um, and so there's there's so much to it. And I think when I saw it the first time in 1989, and that was just a few years prior to the uprisings in Los Angeles, which I was a part of, April 29th, 1992, which for me was a large part of seeing a movie like Children of Men is like having lived aspects of that in an uprising like Los Angeles or living in a a ghetto community um, and having that type of force placed on you every day. Maybe not the jets, maybe not the, the war, maybe not the bombs necessarily going off, but it's every day you're kind of under a, a watch. And all the symbolism that goes into a movie like Do the Right Thing, I mean, the, 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 the wall of fame, when you think about, you know, like we've been asking, you know, like Tupac says, like we've been asking for years. We were asking with the Civil Rights Movement. We were asking with the Black Panther. We were asking, like all those people are either dead or in jail. So what do you think this generation is going to do? You know, they're going to ask? And so... That for me strikes a strong chord. Um, you know, when you think about art, and I think about the colors and the way he used, I mean, Dutch angles. I mean, very rarely do you have directors who use Dutch angles because it looks comedic, right? I mean, it looks like something for those of you who don't know. I mean, it's like like on Batman to show, you know, conflict. The old Batman series, not the, like the new stuff with Batman. Like, like the old, like uh, Adam West Batman, where the show conflict, you know, you tilt the camera and stuff, but it's like Spike really did that well. And I'm teaching a course on Black Lives Matter now at, at, at my school, and you know, I showed that clip. So I started the, the clip from when um, Sal is closing up the bars, this is at the end, and he's closing up, not the bar, the, the restaurant, and then of course the neighborhood folks come in, Radio Rahim busts through the door, and he's, he's blaring, you know, this is, this, and this is, you know, public enemy, you know, fight the power, right? And so that kind of starts it off, right? He's like, you know, he said, you know, we want some mother effing people on the wall. And by the time you get to that point, there's really no room for like reconciliation and peace because by that time, it's fight, a fight and violence is imminent. When it was palpable to have peace, it was back when we started, back when, if you remember the film, Smiley is actually standing in front. This is the other thing. Man, again, there's so much stuff in that movie. Smiley, who's another uh, uh, actor that, that is, plays kind of the mentally, some of the, one of the mentally challenged individuals who actually wasn't, which is a whole other conversation that Spike did, but it was the 80s, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and Smiley is standing in front of a black Baptist church 
with the doors closed, like sealed shut. And if you, you know the background of that, you know, that was, it, it was actually when Spike went in to film this uh, in Brooklyn, uh, the church actually, this was right after the whole tempta- last temptation of Christ and, you know, that whole era. So, they, you know, Christians were really down on, on Hollywood. And so, you know, they basically shunned Spike away. Like, we're not going to do anything. We don't want anything to do with this. So he had added that scene in there. And, right, and really, the, the, uh, the religious group that stepped up was the Nation of Islam. And they actually helped convert and build the set on there. So it's just interesting to think, where is the church in this time? Because we've been having these conversations for a, la- for a long time. And then the last piece of art I would say that really comes to mind, and again, there's so much to do the right thing, but that's what came to mind, is Andre Serrano's The Piss Christ. Um, and so for me, and that's, you know, that's older, but for me it's all the nasty, nefarious nature of what it's meant to look at religion in this day and age. When you think of the power of what it does to people and what it does to individuals, and going back to children of men, when we fall in love with ideas and theories and theologies, the messiness of life, it just, it's, it's too much. And so we, we turn to kill. We turn to that violence. And it's, it's, we see this over and over and over again. So those are the two, I think, biggest art pieces that stand out for me. Billy Mark. Uh, real quick, Smiley in that movie was played by Roger Guinevere Smith. He's a genius. Just want to put that out there. I just love that he, he's, he's amazing. Um, so the two pieces you asked uh, this morning at breakfast, is Ethan here? Is Ethan? Well, Ethan, uh, we were having a conversation. Okay, Ethan. And um, he talked about uh, in, the south, in the south somewhere, they were making a monument to uh, lynching and in order to remember it. Um, and that is a work of art. And as soon as he said that, I felt... Like, I, I felt like I was inside the picture, surrounded by white people mm. hanging mm. here in, in that, like, I felt this feeling coming up, and I wanted to take you all out. Like, I felt the fight. I felt that I felt unsafe. Um, the word brought something up in me. And also, when I heard a monument to lynching, I was like, a monument to lynching? Like... Is this like a pro, I, I know it's not a pro-lynching monument, but like, is it a pro, like, is it a pro-lynching monument? Like, how does this work? And I, the ambiguity in there is, is powerful. Um, and so, so that's one, and then if I can do a point five, well, actually it's a 1.5. Uh, the, I was talking about this piece that um, a brother came to Detroit and he, um, as an artist, he took the, the, the rebel flag or, or whatever, whatever it's called, and he photoshopped it and he put the African colors on it. So it's the African colors. And that, that, that went over really well with everybody. Um, <laughs> and racial reconciliation has been achieved. Um, so it didn't, it didn't go over really well. And um, I just have to, I, I gave up vain speculation for Lent, so, so you hold me to it. So I'm gonna try to rein, rein it in. Um, so I'll just stick to the facts. Um, and then the second, the second part was, and then he was like, well, that's like, and then there was the big backlash. And then the second part was when he's like, well, this is the only way to, to hang the rebel flag. And he hung it in a noose. And I was sitting in that audience and I started slinking in my chair. I started slinking back and I felt like a guitar. Um, this is, and, and I felt like, two strings were resonating. I felt like two strings were just dead. 
and I felt there were two strings that were just untouched. And, and, it's, and then we, we, we met up after, after, the, after, after the talk, and I asked him, I said, and I hemmed and hawed a little bit. I was like, ah, yeah. He's like, how did you, what, what was your experience? I was like, ah, blah, 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 He's like, brother, just tell me, tell me, tell me straight. I was like, I was like, did you help get Trump elected? And, and he, yeah, he wasn't, he, he was, he's like, oh, what, we're, okay, that we're, now we're, sh okay, that's shooting straight. He's like, shooting straight. He's like, you want, okay, let's shoot. I said, did you help get Trump elected? And, And we talked about it. He, it got heated, and then we realized two 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 things. One is we all we we we're a, a bunch of people, and we all have different talents. We all serve different roles. We all can do different things, and be on the same team. One right, and I think sometimes, especially in like I don't know, for me in, in the left leaning circles that I run in, sometimes they feel like we're all trying to figure this out in our own heads by ourselves. And because and and rightness, being right and righteousness, it's really is, is so supreme. Um, so that was one kind of like loosening. And then, and then he was like, and then once we got to that place, he was like, you know what, brother, if you, walk, if you come down to Florida and you walk a mile in my shoes, like then, then you'll know. And if I came over here to Detroit and I walked a mile in your shoes and in, in your thing, that you would know where I'm coming from. I'm like, yeah, we are on the same team. And then I felt those other two strings resonate. And I was like, how far does that hospitality extend? You know, like I know, like for me, like I'm trained, like I'm supposed to like, in this sea of white people, I'm supposed to get at you right now. You know what I mean? And I'm supposed to tell you what it is. You know what I mean? And I'm supposed to and this is weird relationship between us. You know, you're like, yes, yes, tell me I'm bad. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. And I'm like, oh, I, but I don't want to lose this chance with this microphone to tell you you're bad so you can do the right thing. But I, there's, there's, something, there's something else that's not resonating. And resonance has been really important to me these days of like, not just, okay, I'm thinking the right thing, but where, do, where does it resonate? What is resonating? in my soul as not just, not, not just right thinking, but resonation, so those two. Mm. Thank you all. Um, so something that I've been returning to since the election and, and that also came immediately to mind when um, Ken asked if I would moderate this panel, um, what came to mind was the first line of Langston Hughes' poem, I, I Too, I Too Sing America. Um, and so I thought I would just read that uh, and use that as a jumping off point um, for continuing our discussion. I Too Sing America. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh and eat well, and grow strong. Tomorrow I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am, and be ashamed. I too am America.
So I'm wondering, there, there are so many things that come to mind for me as far as how this demonstrates the artist's role um, in responding to our current situation and responding to a situation that we've been in for a long time. Um, and one thing that comes to mind is, um, Daniel, you mentioned the, the prophetic role of the artist. Uh, the role of the artist in creating a vision for a future that we want to be a part of. And I'm wondering if if each of you or any of you would comment on how you've understood the artist's prophetic role in, in crafting this vision, um, making those those strings resonate um, for a future that we that we want to live in together. I'll start. Um, I think for me, I mean, I look at, at art in a lot of different ways. I mean, so for me, my art currently, I mean, I've I've been a musician. Uh, I like digital art, uh, but currently I'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer. And so uh, my writing right now, that's for me, that's, that's where I'm, and it just so happens that this election coincided with an open book contract. So I'm like, all right. So it's going back and revising and, and sitting there. And you know, it's interesting because in Christian publishing, and in, 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 in Christian publishing is difficult because it's like as a black man, racially, ethnically I'm Mexican and African American, but racially as a black man, um, I always get pegged as, oh, you know, just do the hip hop stuff, you know, all right, yeah, that's great, you know, I'll do the urban, you know, urban, we need urban, we need more urban ministry, you know, like, all right, even though urban is a, you got all the hipsters there, and even the inner city anymore, at least in Chicago. Um, so I struggle with, like, I got a degree in theology, why can't I write on prayer? Why does Foster have to do that? I get all these updates from Zondervan and all the, I mean, I'm just going to go through them and stuff, right? You know, Zondervan, Baker, IVP, and I'm published with IVP, right? But it's like I get these things, and it's just continual white male, white cisgendered males. It's like, okay, that's what I had to read in seminary. That's what I had to read in grad school. That's what I'm just like, I've learned all I can from white cisgendered male. No disrespect to white cisgendered males, but I've learned all I can. None taken. No, right. <laughs> so I'm like, where are the queer theologians? Where are the theologians of color? Where are the Korean? Where are the Vietnamese? Where are the Bulgarian? Where are the Kenyans? And they're out there. But we've had this dominance. So for my art, it's been a struggle, right, to get out and to, and to talk about this. And so as if you know anything to know about publishing, you know, and especially in the academic world, because, you know, you've got to get that stuff on your Vita and get all those things, right? And that's for me, even part of the struggle, right, as being an artist is because, like, I want to be able to be free, but I'm captivated in a system within the academy to get out there and to publish and to write and to research. And as soon as you publish one thing, you're on to the next, right? And Eddie Gloud said this at the American Academy of Religion Conference right, right after the, the election happened. He really said, really the election, the results of the election is really an indictment on the academy and where we've been at. Because it's like, it's easy to be like, oh man, that's just happening out there, I'll get to that. And one of my colleagues even said, he said, well, why are we protesting against Trump? Like, I don't get it. Like, no one's knocking on the door right now. We can still, we're, we still have freedoms and everything and everything. Of course, he was a white, cisgendered, older male. And I was just like, well, when they come knocking on your door, it's too late, right? But when you send your manuscript out, you get a reviews back. And in, 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 in the academic world, you get three blind reviewers and you get your editor. And, and constantly, it's always, why are we still talking about race? That's one of the first paragraphs. Why are we still talking about issues of race? And I'm like, God damn, it's because we, are st we haven't left it. We've never left that conversation. We fell backwards into it. And so 
my art is trying to speak to that. But not in the sense of trying to change folks. I'm just trying, I don't, I don't believe in my lifetime I'm gonna see this racial, I don't even believe in racial reconciliation. Let me just put it out there, I just like that. I don't believe that, that's a false hope. Yes, reconciliation will be great, those, but those are all myths rooted in white evangelicalism that some kumbaya moment, it's not gonna happen, at least not in my lifetime. Maybe my daughter's daughter's lifetime, but at least not right now. So my goal is to get as much information and stuff out there so we can at least establish a concrete foundation. And going through, like one of the books I'm working on now, completely rewriting the first chapter and looking at how white supremacy has been present in missions since the age of exploration in the 15th century. And going through that systematically, right? I mean, this book went from 80,000 words. I'm already at 140,000 words and stuff. And I know what's going to be said. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, what's going on? That's, why do we have to rehash this stuff? But I'm like, we're still there. We're still there. We haven't left. So let me, let me leave it at that. But that's for me. That's where my art is. So the role for me is being that prophetic voice. And I don't feel like, like this whole book, like, you know, in Christian books, you always have to end on these things. That was one of the comments, right, on one of the reviewers. Like, well, where's the good? You know, where's the positive in this? What can we take away? Fuck, there's nothing to take away right now. Not if you a nigga. And a nigga isn't just a black person. A nigga is, is, is the Muslim. A nigga is the trans person. A nigga is, is, is somebody who was ostracized and kicked out. And so for me, I'm like, I don't have soupy warm feelings about where we're at right now. Bannon, Steve Bannon is a genius. If you read what he is, I don't agree with him, but he is a genius. He is a rhetorical genius. He is a lyricist genius. He constructed the way these things came together. He galvanized right-wing, ultra-right-wing radio and focused them into somebody like Trump. And so for me, I'm like, we at war. <laughs> we don't see it yet, but we at war. Those bullets are flying. So for me, it's like, let me at least, let's put my whatever, AR-15 in a book, you know, out there. Yeah. So before, before the election, I. I started to, I floated the idea and then I got more confident about saying it. I was like, I was ambivalent to who should win the election. Um, uh, I had felt like there had been conversations that had started to come up in the last year that hadn't come up in a long time and we were being really honest about stuff. And I felt like if, if, uh, if uh, Mrs. Clinton had, had won the, the election, then everyone would, and by, let me rephrase that, by everyone I would say me, Let me just be clear. I'm working on my pronouns as well. I mean, right? If, if we're working on pronouns these days. Let's like work on all of our pronouns, right? So I was like, oh, yeah, if she wins, well, then it'll all get taken care of and it'll all work out. Mm -hmm. I, was like, but, I was like, but if Mr. Trump wins, I, I was like, oh, man, I will have to get activated. Like, that's just what's going to have to happen. And I was like, well, that, that, you know. So I was ambivalent. I was like, something's, something's going to happen one way or the other. But, um, but if, if Trump did win, there would be a time of, of revelation. And we are in a time of revelation, and it is a great time to be alive. And all of our securities have been um, unmasked, and, and we have been laid bare. Like, for all, I'm surrounded by, by left, the left crowd, and I'm like, like, I am so deeply disillusioned by by, I was gonna say, my, by my left friends and by myself, I will say that. Like, for, for, like so on one end of the spectrum, we have, so we have um, all, we have gender is on a spectrum, 
and everyone who voted for Trump is a racist. Okay? Yeah. All right? Okay? So now is the time to be laid bare and to, to not know and to experience God in not knowing because that God is bigger than we know. And as far as theology goes, white men theology, I was addicted to like white theology books, like addicted, like study of God. Like, are there, like, do you, yeah, we need more black theologians writing in that form, absolutely. We also need black theologians living in their bodies. Mm -hmm. Because the study of God is not just in our minds. And I think about Ezekiel, the prophet. We talk, I think we talk, we're talking about Ezekiel, who God says, lay down and <laughs> turn over and, you know, use human shit. And I love the bargain. Can it be, please, can it just be cow shit? Can it be a different shit to, to, make, to, to, to burn this fire, to make this pot? And God's like, I like God's working with this artist. He's like, okay, you know, okay. The medium, okay, I got you. I can work with you. It's like his wife dies? Ezekiel's wife dies? You guys, are, you guys, are, you guys, are you guys hip to like Ezekiel? Ezekiel 4, check it out. He's like the performance artist. <laughs> pa excellent. Like he is the one. And so just in this, this study of God as not just being something that we do with words, but something that we do with our bodies. And I think now is a time when we are facing this, uh, this time of, of, of silence in our minds and confusion. Like, don't fight the confusion. I, I would, I'm trying not to, to fight the confusion and to lash out in the dark because I will hit all of my brothers and sisters. I will hit everyone. Um, but instead to, to enter into that darkness and to, to, to take care of my body in that darkness and to take care of all of the other bodies in that darkness and to study fucking God in that darkness. Yes, sir. That's all. Right on again. Um, uh, in answer to your question and, and piggybacking on what these guys are saying, um, I feel like the role of the artist is to very simply say what you see, um, mm. and that the, an artist is somebody who can read the articles and who can pay attention to the experience that, that people are having, and um, I think that it's natural for artists to gravitate toward wanting to hear underrepresented voices and to be aware of um, and empathize with underrepresented voices. Um, also, just there's a, you know, this has been happening. What, what we're seeing and what you're saying, this is laying something bare that has been there for uh, un, unending. I mean, it's, it's always been there here in the United States. And the it is, I mean, it's 90% just racism is why we're here. <laughs> I mean, uh, but that is a form of just basic unfairness. And so I think that art, the way that I, I feel like my, the, if you, on, on the day after election, I was, you know, you go to sleep and you wake up and you think, was that hope, 
is this like, is this real? Is this real? I'm sure so many of us had that feeling. And I tweeted, my entire catalog is about this, this moment. Um, and it's true. Because if you, if you care about fairness, if you care about, um, if, if, you, if you care about fairness and somebody hips you to the idea of privilege, you lose your stomach for a little while because you realize, oh shit. And you just, your awareness just keeps growing and keeps growing if you're, if you're interested in fairness. And, and, and I think artists have the privilege and the responsibility of being idealists till they're old and gray and telling the people showing the people who have to move on from their idealism to live their lives, so-called, to, to get with the program, to conform to what's expected of them, we get to say, you know, you don't have to do that. With a, with a gleam in my eye, I can suggest it really is as good as you hoped it could be when you were a kid. Fairness is real, it's possible. When your mom and dad, you said, that's not fair. And they said, well, life isn't fair. I always wanted to say, yeah, but you've been raising me to try to make it fair, right? Isn't that, isn't that what we're doing? Isn't that why I feel betrayed right now? You said life's not fair and that's it. And I feel like that the artist's role is to say, yeah, let, let me show you how life is hard for, mm. for people. To show you that life is not fair, but implicit in that, if it's not expressed in, in the tune or in the, in the art, it's, it's implied that we say this because there is a remedy, there is a way forward. Um, and if you, know, if you stop feeling that, you don't, you, you don't emphatically, obsessively make shit about the world. You know, that is an expression of, um, of, that, uh, of that care. Um, and and it's, about, it's about caring about fairness, ultimately. I mean, I feel that, that prick in my in my gut when I was a kid and realizing how unfair things were and how indifferent grown-ups were to the basic lack of fairness at the core of all things, you know, I, I didn't understand, I, I, yeah, I didn't, and I didn't know even a, a, an ounce of how unfair things really were as a little white kid, you know, just no one's, no force applied to me but my parents, you know. Um, that's a different thing, mm. and and I still perceived the the basic unfairness at the at the center of the world somehow. And and white people can white people can understand that that's that's a, maybe another that's a, a secondary thing. But I I I just believe that they can I I believe that they can wake up, um, and I think that um, the long suffering of. Uh, people who have been put upon uh, in, in this country for their, the whole existence of our nation is something that, you know, the long suffering of everybody sitting here listening to me say this, um, it's something that we can, we can learn from and shine a light on. And when you think of your better angels, you, you don't have to look any further culturally than black community, women, um, you know, LGBTQ, like, these are the these are the better angels of our uh, of our culture, and that and it's because they show us what we are 
and how deeply unfair we are and if, we, if we're able to hear it, which is, I think, the big, the big problem mm -hmm. and the big question of how, because clearly facts don't make white people change their minds about stuff. Yeah. Um, and so then how, do, then how do you communicate? <laughs> if that's the case, which it clearly is, exactly how do right. you communicate the yep. thing? And, and narrative is the way that you do it. You gotta trick them. I mean, I, look, look, they're too fucking stupid to tell it to them straight, I'm just saying. Um, and I've, I, I've been that way in my life about a great many things, but this isn't brushing your teeth. This is, this is murder. This is mass slaughter. Um, and so I, I, I feel like that it's, it's now the challenge even more of artists to realize it's not to double down on being didactic or something like this, but to figure out how to digest all of those things that, you're, that I'm seeing and that I'm hearing and figure out a way to, con not, not, here's the thing, not to figure out nothing. Your subconscious knows how to convey all that stuff and it's a form of, of trust in, in um, yeah, it's a form of vulnerability that the artist gets to do to, in, to take all this stuff in and then to let their subconscious speak because that's, you know, the subconscious knows what's yeah. up. I mean, and I think too, I mean, I just want to, I don't, I don't want to cut no, your, your questions off and stuff. I, no, 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 this is good because I think it's important too because I, I think when something like this happens, we have been so conditioned, I love what you said about the body, we have been so conditioned in the Western society to rush to a solution, rush to the antidote, rush to whatever, without ever sitting, just your body, not just your mind, but your body sitting in the lament, in the pain, in the shit of what the situation really is. It's like, you think about it, it's like, well, when you get a cold, we want comfort. We've been trained to have comfort on every level. We want to drive down the street with no noise. I want to have my headphones. I want to, be, I want to tune everything out. So the body has essentially been eliminated, and so we have to you know, reason, right, in our minds. I'm so glad you brought that up. And so I've struggled because there's so many people who just wanted to rush to, like, well, let's do this, and let's get together, and let's do this. And I'm like, hold up. This was part of the problem. It's just like this has been part of the problem. We've rushed to solutions. We cannot fix this in a five-step this is years, this is centuries. Because here's the thing, I knew Trump was gonna win as of June of 2016. So I've, I'm a researcher, it's just what I do, it's the way my mind is wired. So I've been following a lot of folks on the alt-right. And so they, you know, they have forums and you know, I, I go on, I'm Mike, by the way, if you're on there, I'm Mike, American Eagle with the flag in the back. That's, that's me, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, it works, you know what I'm saying? Hey, Mike, that's yeah, that's right, you know? You know, Dave Chappelle, and you know, he's blind and everything. He's a, he's a Ku Klux Klan member. But I had a series, I took my cues from that. So I went in there, and I'm just listening to these conversations and stuff, and there is strategy. There is, there is um, plotting. There is scheming. And right around June, they all went dark. They said, look, take your things off the lawn. Don't talk to any exit pollers. Don't do anything. It's like, you know, we're going to make a statement on November 8th. And sure enough, they did. You know, the polls were all people were like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I love that Saturday Night Live skit where, you know, uh, <laughs> Dave is sitting there like, yeah, we knew this was, this was coming. But I think the, 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 the air that got knocked out of me, I think, was that I feel like I've dedicated so much of my life trying to go to white evangelical churches and talk, right, facts. Somebody from the representative of this, you know, and we're talking again in the head. This brother said it in the head, but we haven't really gotten to the heart of it. And I'm asking myself, man, what have I been doing these past, this, that, it was almost all my life. Yeah. 
And you go to another one of these churches and you go to another of these places, at least for me, and you think, okay, this will be the moment. This will be the time. And, hey, I left a mark. And, man, Trump getting elected is kind of like, whoa. I mean, Michael Emerson and, and Christian Smith talked about this in Divided by Faith. I mean, that book is old. And people are like, oh, my gosh, I just found that book. That's amazing. Yo, it's old. But we've been talking about this. Critical race theories have been saying this shit for years now, talking about what's coming, talking about what's going on. And so for me, I've struggled because... We want to rush to solutions, and I love hearing from artists because it's like that, for me, is like there's so much, there's a lot of bits and pieces to take from that. It's not a single treatment of that, and I think in the, the complex, the ministry industrial complex, when we go, and I'm not knocking any conference, but when we go to some of these youth ministry conferences, it's like, it's the ministry industrial complex. It's like, oh, buy my book, buy my DVD series, and you too will become the best damn youth minister ever. You know, minister to all those damn kids, you know, and it's like... <laughs> And I'm saying, I come out of the youth ministry world, so it's like it's just everything's just being sold, right? They're like, come to camp, you know, and you know, help a nigger kid, you know? It's like, and all these little things, right? I mean, you know, seriously, I mean, seriously, you got all these little black kids and white faces. I mean, that stuff drives me nuts. Right. Here's this little waddy head boy, you know, saying, or waddy headed girl, come give us some money. And so, wow, I mean, we need to fix some things, yeah. but it can't be me. And here's the thing. I'm glad I'm married. My wife is white. Like, oh, yeah, she is. She's sitting in the back. She's one of my biggest fans. My daughter's mixed. And so that has been a blessing for me in so many ways because my roots is activism. Man, I want, and not just activism. I want to go tear shit up. You know what I'm saying? My mom was the first Latina admitted into the Berkeley chapter of the Black Panthers back in the 60s, fought against the Vietnam War. Uh, so I was cultivated in this nature of, like, we going to raise you know, up, right? So when April 29th, 1992 came, I was like, let's take it to the streets. And thank God I didn't get killed. But my yeah. point being is, is that it's good because now I, I just I can't go off. It's too easy as a black man to say all white people are bad, all white people are the devil. I mean, I was with the Nation of Islam for a while. So it's like I, I went down that track for a while. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily knocking that. I think there is ignorance. But I can't say that because I know there's a wife who loves me. She cares. We get it. We lament. We cry about things. Well, I don't cry a lot, unfortunately. I don't. It's just stuck. But we, we, we weep. I'll weep. I'll say that. I, we weep. <laughs> and it's a struggle because you want to get these things across, but it's too easy to just say, let's just fix this. And if we fix this, then we'll be okay. But this is connected to that and connected to this and connected to this. I mean, Part of my part-time is looking at astronomy. It's like it's, it's, it's in astrophysics, and so it's like we're too interconnected to just fix one thing and think it's going to be okay. Yeah, th that's the other thing with the, the, I think one of the things that art can do is, is show people that everything is connected, that it, you, you're frustrated about Trump as you are, you're looking at the phone as you're using the toilet or something like this, I don't know what the scenario is, but a person standing there feeling frustrated about Trump as they pee on the toilet seat and then walk away without cleaning it up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the role of art to say is like, those things are connected, man. If you don't clean up after yourself, then you get Trump as the president. That's just what happens. And so, and that goes to fairness and everything, that everything is connected and that it's that constant pressure, it's that holistic way that each person can sort of live and try to be like holistically, uh, well, as a buddy of mine says, um, you know, you're always worshiping, you're, you're always bearing witness to something and if you look at everything that you say and all this stuff that basically you're living what you believe all the time and the role of artists to show people that that's 
the, the role of all information is to show people that and is to hopefully people will glean that. But art has a, has a way of doing that, I think, that um, can be a part of this solution, but it's this, it's in the aggregate. I feel like if I apply constant pressure to the things that are resonating with me, um, that I'm sort of, I'm holding down one little tiny part of the thing and that it's, and that I know that tons of my brothers and sisters are doing the same thing and that everybody's applying pressure the way that they, that they know how to, or that a lot of people are, and that we're, you try to get more people on board to do that because it requires, there's no solution except this, just wow. people wow. talking about it and do what you said at the beginning where you have these breakthroughs with somebody where, look, you know, the person who voted for Trump uh, and is standing by that now, um, I know how I feel about it and they're not trying to kill me right now, you know. And I, so it's, it's amazing to, bri to bridge that gap where these are just human beings and we have to figure out how to connect with the parts. Do they like milkshakes, you know? Yeah. I love milkshakes. What's you too? milkshake, you know? Baskin and Robbins closed my town, so my favorite milkshake is gone. You know, you can start to have these kind of conversations yeah. and, and not as a, re, as a way of being the repair. And I'm just doing a, a childish version of what you're saying, which is just what you were describing earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that everything is connected is, is a thing that, that just people need to understand and that, that all of our behavior adds to, to the problems, you know. Well, first of all, I just want to say, I want to give props to your image of, do you see those two little yellow dots on the toilet? Tyranny! <laughs> um, and then also the word that you said earlier that was the word trust. And I think that may be the word that I'm going to sit with for a while. Because as an artist, I have to sit in front of the act of creativity and I, if I rush to it, it will be inauthentic and it will be false and it will be wrong and it will be flat. And if I add <clears throat> resources to that, it could kill people. Those little yellow dots could kill people, right? Yeah. And so, so trust, and also I was just thinking of like, like if I say things right now that are from my, the depth of my core, 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 like y'all don't, don't know me like that. You know what I mean? Like, you, like, you've heard me, we, we've talked for the last couple of minutes, so some trust has been built, but if I came out here right at the top and said something right from my core, like, nope, trust is broken. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, why, why do I have to earn trust? Right. Why do I have, well, can't you just, like, I don't trust anybody who doesn't trust me. Like, I'm trustworthy, so if you don't trust me, you're not trustworthy, because you don't have good taste in trustworthy people. But this, this idea of like that it is something that is, like you said, it's not going to be, it's not a five-step solution. It's going to take, take centuries. And, and that this, this trust of that it is not something that I am doing alone. And to have to live in a state of suspension. God. <laughs> to live in a state of suspension. And to know, that, to know that I don't know the whole picture and that I have to trust that everybody else is going to be doing what they need to be doing. And that trust is the beginning of relationships. 
It's the beginning of this art process. It's the beginning of relationships. It's the beginning of, of a, a wholeness. It's the beginning of this shalom that we're talking about. So when we seek peace, if peace is what we seek, then trust is a place to dwell. Yeah. Um, so we've got just a couple of minutes. Uh, and I'm going to go out on a limb and make a proposal to you and uh, see what you think about closing out this way. Um, I'm taking the point that uh, it wouldn't be right to wrap this up with a cheap word of hope. Um, and I also, you know, having lived in this, this world, Calvin Festival of Faith and Music world, I know that this tends to be a world of words, lots and lots of words. Um, so I'm wondering, actually, if we could close with just a few minutes of silence um, and try to find the space in our body where the weight of that lament resides. Um, and uh, if there is uh, maybe a single word that is rising to the surface for you, like trust, if you wanted to offer that word to the space, um, please do that. And uh, I think I'll, I'll probably close pretty simply, and, and then maybe the rest of my proposal is that we depart this room in silence um, and take our conversation into the hallway. Continue the conversation, for sure. Words are important. I'm a writer. <laughs> I live by words. Um, does that sound like a plan? I'm with you. All right. Um, let's have a few minutes of silence then. Um, and I'll begin with the same words that I will end with. Lord, have mercy. Thanks for listening. Thank you also to everyone who spoke or performed or attended the 2017 Festival of Faith and Music. These recordings were produced in collaboration between the Student Activities Office at Calvin College and the Calvin Center for Faith and Writing. You can find more recordings from the 2017 Festival of Faith and Music and short films from the festival concerts at ccfw.calvin.edu.